following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Episode 823 of I Doubt It Podcast. Thank you for joining us. I am your host, Jesse Dollimore, joined today by the lovely, talented, and indeed the scholarly Brittany Page. So we went to the Holocaust Museum mm-hmm. last week. First and time I'd been. Yeah, it was the first time for me as well. And it was it was a difficult experience. I think it was a, a great museum. It, it's one of the best museums I've been to. Many mm-hmm. of the displays really stand out in my mind. I think they will for quite some time, especially the the shoe exhibit. I yeah. think you remember that one. There were several that were uh, stepping off the elevator. Like immediately, mm-hmm. I got emotional. It was it was hard. Yeah, and I think the museum is kind of designed that way. Mm-hmm. As you're going up in the elevator. I think you go up four floors and then you kind of work your way down each floor to the yeah, bottom, yeah. back to the bottom. And as you're going up in the elevator, you hear someone narrating something that kind of, I can't remember what it is anymore, but it gets you in that place right before you step out of the elevator where you feel like you are entering this new world where you're about to learn about a terrible historical event Mm -hmm. and i think one thing that stands out for me is there's no age restriction on who is allowed in there and so there were a lot of toddlers and small children and it was obviously are unable to grasp the enormity of what the museum represents or the the somberness with which everyone else is is comporting themselves yes Yeah. yeah and so there was kind of like pitter-patter of the flip-flops from the toddlers while you're like crying reading these displays. Right. And the parents were sometimes narrating things to the kids. I remember a, a, one thing that stands out in my mind is a dad walked by and he was telling his young children, the important thing to remember here is that everyone is different. Which I know you got to boil it down for yeah. the kids, right? Make it easy for them to understand what's happening, I guess. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with that being the the takeaway. The one thing you got to remember, just like the Nazis thought, everybody's different and needs to be treated that way. I mean, I realize that's not what the parent was yeah, doing. that's not what he was, yeah. But we're all the fucking same. <laughs> that's the point. We're all the same. I don't know. I I was irritated by things that day. <laughs> I mean, I'm irritated by things every day. Sure. But I don't know. It's a, it's a solemn space. Yes, it yeah. was. But and it was I, a good experience. It very much was. It, it really is remarkable to see the displays that have been on display for decades. Mm-hmm. And looking at the parallels between, and I'm not trying to be hyperbolic here, but the parallels of the culture war shit and the book burning and the authoritarianism all really mirrors many aspects that we're going through right now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it was like a, Oh, holy shit. Like back to back to back. You're seeing all this shit is happening right now in America. Yeah. And I was looking around at people trying to gauge whether there were some people there who maybe were Trump supporters. Yeah. And whether or not they were getting those same messages. Because it, it seems quite clear that they are making these conclusions quite clear in, in the display. If yeah. you if you read the displays and you are able to take in that information, it seems like it would be clear that you would draw a straight line from what happened then to what's happening now. But I, I'm not sure that everyone was fully grasping. It's hard to tell. When walking around D.C., mm-hmm. especially in the areas that are touristy. Yeah. Like, who might be the Trump supporter people? Because a lot of people wear their fucking flag shirts. 
you know, their yeah. flag hats, their constitution scripted we the people stuff. And, you know, that's really been co-opted by the right. Mm-hmm. And it's it's hard to tell if they're not just being like, ah, I'm in D.C., this is what you do and where, or if they're just MAGA freaks. I wonder, I do not own a flag-related item, and I wonder how common that is. Do you think most Americans own a flag-related item? I guess I, is what I don't I'm calling either. it. <laughs> I don't either. I don't own something with the flag on it. Yeah. I don't own a flag, and I don't yeah, own we also a... don't own a flag. <laughs> <laughs> the Holocaust Museum, though, did it did remind me of the Whitney Plantation in New Orleans, which is the only plantation site in Louisiana with an exclusive focus on the experience of the enslaved people. Yeah. So you can go visit other plantations in Louisiana and tour the... But it's always like, look at this grandeur. Look at the architecture, y'all. It's a beautiful driveway with the overhanging oaks. Uh, it's not horrors were visited upon human beings here. Yes, and the Whitney Plantation is that. You get the name of an enslaved person that was on the Whitney Plantation at the beginning, and throughout the experience, you find your person's name on the displays, and you it, it makes it more personal. Yeah, I, I agree. And you're able to kind of follow their experience as you, as you tour the site. And it was it was a similar vibe, I think, when I walked into the Holocaust Museum, just that immediate feeling of this is a somber experience. People really weren't talking to each other. It was very quiet. And that's that's similar to how it was with the Whitney Plantation. Everyone was there taking it very seriously and not being cavalier about their experience. Yeah, I found that to be the same thing in the, the bottom level of the African-American History Museum. Mm, yeah, uh, the same kind of thing. We need more of that. We need more of that in America relative to educating people about our fucking history. So people don't just go through, through their whole lives thinking everything was peaches and cream, mm-hmm. that we're the oldest living democracy when women couldn't vote until 1920 or something. Yeah. You know, we weren't a functioning actual democracy until the 20th century. Yeah. And I, we need museums. We need libraries. That's going to come up later in the show. We need these things because... Education should be a continuous thing that we are always grasping for. We're always reaching for more knowledge. We're always reaching to be better. I know that when I was in high school, I wasn't particularly concerned with reading all of the books that were assigned to me and all of the readings that I was supposed to be reading. I did not do all of the learning that I should have done in high school. And I know that I'm not alone in that. (laughs) You're not alone. (laughs) And Republicans often denigrate a college education you hear it all the time especially right now that you don't need college you're just going to be saddled with debt and while that is true that you are oftentimes going to be saddled with debt and it is a struggle I think for me one of the benefits of a a college education was not only growing up in a white supremacist household where I was not taught the reality of history including about the holocaust yeah that I didn't do what I needed to do in high school either. And so continuing my education in college really helped me become better and well-rounded and more knowledgeable. And I think if if we all had more of a commitment to trying to do that, even outside of the college experience, we would be in a much better place in society. If we all accepted, we need to continue learning. We need yeah. to continue th- this process. It doesn't just stop at some point in our life or we could just all be Kristen Cavalieri I've read too many books oh (laughs) or we could do that (laughs) or we could do that yeah no I listen I agree I obviously agree with you I think that uh there it's too often and I'm not as on Facebook as I used to be but seeing people from high school who as you've put it to me several times some of these people from high school who haven't read a book since high school Mm mm-hmm thinking as though they have a rock-solid grip on how things work, mm-hmm. how the world works, how other people think, and how things should be when they haven't progressed intellectually, culturally, any in any arena outside of when they were in high school. Mm-hmm. They're the same fucking person. No growth whatsoever. 
Yeah, well, and I learned a lot from the Holocaust Museum. And I consider myself fairly knowledgeable about yeah, history, yeah. but I learned a lot that I didn't know. So I think, like I said, it's always a process that we should be encouraging in other people and within ourselves that we want to be growing and learning more. And that's what I love about D.C. is these museums are free. You just paid a one dollar processing fee for the Holocaust Museum to get a ticket. Otherwise, free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's amazing. Yeah, it was a. Uh... It was a good time. I would recommend it to everybody. But when you go in, know that it's uh, it's heavy. Yeah, it's gonna... as it should be. They didn't sugarcoat or or whitewash anything. It was um, you you should enter in with solemnity and and knowing that it's going to be heavy. Oh yeah, so. and and that's how you felt too. I mean, it took you a while to bounce back for sure. And if you are coming here like on vacation, just know that. Maybe you want to end your trip there or something. Maybe don't start it there. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever you prefer. But it is a heavy experience. It's going to stay with you. Yeah. We'd love to know what you think. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Before we move on, we want to talk about the contest that we're running, the promotional thing that we're doing with Patreon. We are giving away... Six pieces of individual merch to six individuals. If you were a patron before August 1st, you're automatically entered. We will draw and we'll draw three names and we'll contact three of you and you'll each get to pick a piece of merch from the merch store. If you became a patron, so it's a smaller group of people, if you became a patron in August or if you become, continuing on for the next week or so, a patron in August, we will draw your name, smaller group of names, and you will also receive, if, if you are chosen, one piece of merch from the, the merch store. There's another way to enter into that group of people, that smaller group, if uh, you're not in a financial position to do so or you just choose not to. It's just email us at idoubtit at dollamore.com. Tell us that you want in on the contest and why you listen to the show. Bam. That's it. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Let's move on with the program. I realize we haven't dropped the Dollamocracy drop in quite a while, quite a few shows. So let's get back into the tradition of it. Dollamocracy, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So another police video is making the rounds on the internet, this time out of Arkansas. Remarkably brutal. And in the video, you can see three Arkansas police officers on top of one person kicking, punching, slamming the head face first into the cement by the hair. Full on kneeing into the stomach and the legs, just... Brutal. Insane. Here's here's one way to describe it that Republicans may understand. It's like a gang beating. This is what this was. Right, right. That's the, exactly what it was this like. This is a gang of police officers beating one person, and we wouldn't know about it unless it was caught on video. Three police officers under investigation after a disturbing video went viral, and a warning that video... It's hard to watch. It shows the Arkansas cops hitting and kicking a suspect. The video was recorded outside a convenience store in Mulberry, Arkansas. You can see the officers holding the man to the ground there and at one point even slamming his head onto the concrete. NBC News correspondent Guad Venegas is tracking this story for us today and joins us from our Miami bureau. Guad, what else do we know about this video and, and who's involved here in the investigation where it stands? Uh, Aaron, this video went viral Sunday morning. We know that hours after authorities responded, uh, Arkansas State authorities saying they have begun an investigation. All three officers uh, have been suspended. Two of them are sheriff deputies, and uh, the other is a local police officer. Uh, all three of them have been suspended. We also have information on the suspect uh, that was arrested after this. Um, he's been identified as Randall Ray uh, Worcester. He's uh, being charged with seven different things, including battery and 
resisting arrest. Um, we have heard also from local authorities, the mayor and the sheriff, uh, both saying that this is under investigation. The mayor saying uh, he was shocked and sickened. Meanwhile, the sheriff said he condemns all violence against anyone that is detained by police. So we'll wait for more details as this investigation continues. Aaron. All right, Guadvanegas. Squad, thank you. So let me read the list of what the person that the police were beating is being charged with. First degree assault, second degree battery, resisting arrest, possessing an instrument of crime, I believe, criminal trespass, criminal mischief, terroristic threatening. Mm. First degree assault, second degree battery. Now, of course, we don't know specifically what happened before the video started. The police are saying, we want to guess what the police were saying. You want to just guess? They were afraid for their lives. They, he lunged toward them. He threatened them. He resisted. Of course, he resisted. It's, they're definitely saying that he came at them. Yeah. Do you want to know what witnesses are saying? The exact opposite. I don't. I don't know. Yeah. That he ran away. Yeah. That he was trying to avoid being arrested. Well, what's interesting here and shitty and typical, fucking typical, is it doesn't matter what he did before. It doesn't matter if he pulled a gun on police officers. Once they had him inundated with bodies, you cuff him. You put him in custody, you charge him for the appropriate crimes, and then he goes before a jury of his peers and is sentenced by a court. It is not fucking uh, vigilante day in Arkansas policing. You don't get to take his head and smash it into the concrete while your partners hold him down. You don't get to knee him in the legs and the abdomen. You don't get to freewheel and punching into his head while his head is on the on the concrete you just that's not how policing works or that's not how it should work in America well and that's what is so maddening about this list that they are charging him with is if you look at the video i mean these belong to the cops these charges yeah. belong to the police wow, officers yeah, exactly no shit this does not this is not make sense when you're watching the video and when i said we don't know what happened before the video that's a line that the police are using. They're piecing right. together other camera video, other footage to release. And they're saying that the public hasn't seen yet what what happened before this. Started. Well, the, the, that's why I one. That's what they always say. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't fucking matter mm -hmm. because their job is to arrest, to affect the arrest, not to issue a sentence. Beating isn't a, a, a job description. Mm -hmm. Beating unarmed citizens who are not yet convicted of a crime, and even if they were convicted of a crime, there is no court in America that sentenced you to gang violence, to gang beating. Yeah, so we know that cops are concerned about being recorded. We know this because Arizona is about to have a law that's going into effect in September that will ban people from recording the police within eight feet. Yeah. And there are, of course, complications surrounding this because what if you start out eight feet away, but then the cop comes into your space right. within that eight feet? There's unanswered questions. It's going to lead to all kinds of problems. And I think we're, we've are we made it pretty clear on this show that we are very much against any restrictions on recording police. And this video is why it is so important that police are recorded by the general public. Yeah, it is, listen, it is a, a mechanism of accountability. And if you are out there and you're a Republican and you want to hold the government accountable, wouldn't you want armed agents of the state to be held accountable to be to be held to a, a high standard of of duty and excellence and adherence to the law and the constitution or do you think ah just let that guy with an associate's degree who may or may not have any understanding of the constitution or his duties at all yeah just let him beat the fuck out of somebody because he's having a bad day because he has a badge and he has a gun no if anything, they need to be held to a higher standard than everyday citizens. Well, and the Arkansas sheriff in the county where this occurred 
admitted that he would not be aware of what happened here if not for the person who recorded. The uh, office recognizes the activity portrayed con- uh, in the video, and we condemn all violence against any any civilian or any deta- person being detained by the sheriff's office. There is a dash cam. Uh, Mulberry Police Department officers have a dash cam. We do not. Croft County Sheriff's Office does not have that. Um, we have reviewed that, and that has uh, been sent to the state police for their investigation. The dash cam does bring to light other things that did happen there you know, to, that initiated that wasn't caught on the uh, citizen's camera. So there is some other things on there. Without this person posting this video on social media, would you have known about this incident? Probably not. Probably not. And so what does this say? about the failures of the police, right? They always talk about there's a few bad apples. Mm -hmm. Well, what are you doing then to solve that problem? Because based on this answer, he's relying on the general public to solve that problem. There's no internal method through which he would have known that this happened, even though when the guy's booked and his face is busted and he's bleeding, so no one is going to say, hey, what happened to you? Yeah. Why do you look like that? Were you beaten by the cops who arrested you? Well, beaten by... That would just be one example. By one of the, just the few bad apples. I mean, if it's only a few bad apples, what a astronomically... um, What are the odds that all three of these bad apples just happen to be on duty together to beat the fuck out of this guy? Well, that's just... that's What are the odds? Oh, wow. Crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and like I said, so... I wonder if this is a moment where he had an epiphany because this does illustrate a problem with policing that we already know about, but I I want the police to be reflective on this issue. He's admitting that if, if a citizen did not record this, he wouldn't know that this happened. And these cops would still be out there and possibly wreaking havoc on other people, likely wreaking havoc on other people. Yeah. Well, there's there's not a fucking chance this was the first time for these guys. Oh, no. No fucking way. No, no, no. And he's bummed that it was recorded because then it could have just been business as usual for them. Yeah, I do. I get frustrated when I hear him say, you know, we condemn this. And he's he's saying it in such a there's just an emotional void. It's not believable. It's also not believable for the fact that who's investigating this other cops now the fact that it's the state police there's still this weird brotherhood that is um adhered to across law enforcement from the federal level on down to your local city cops where oh we're we're brothers in blue we're we're all in this together and they have each other's backs that's part of the culture of policing in the united states that is absolutely fucked and contributes to this kind of mayhem and violence and lawlessness yeah well let's let's move on to someone who's very supportive of the police ron desantis Mm. the governor of florida the top gov as his latest political ad describes you see that it's horrifying these people (laughs) his latest ad it's bad he was asked about it on fox news like hey well what do you what a wonderful ad you know the 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 hilarious and famous movie not not hilarious but the, the the action movie top gun you're doing it after that Where'd you come up with the idea, Gov? He's oh, my wife thought of it. No, some political consultant thought of it, dumb fucks. You just <laughs> buy right into it, whatever bullshit he says. Anyway. Okay, so Ron, I digress. Ron DeSantis, very likely running for president in 2024, ch- channeling Donald Trump and in challenging all ways, Donald by the Trump. Way. Yes. Hand movements, the way he speaks, all of it. He's trying to emulate Donald Trump. Yeah, he's been testing out a new political line that he's he's really going crazy with this. He loves this line. It's his new catchphrase that he's ending every speech with, it seems. And it it the point of it is is that Florida 
is where woke goes to die. And what was right now, people are doing, looking at the, <laughs> the research, they're saying, oh man, the masks uh, will hurt the kids. Now, we we banned the masks in Florida um, uh, with, with the legislature, with the Parents' Bill of Rights and, and, and other actions. But, you know, the reality is that was not grounded in data. It was not grounded in evidence. It was basically the current thing, you know, people would put in their Twitter profile a mask and a, and a, and a syringe, and that was like their identity. And it was ridiculous. They lied to us about the mRNA shots. They said, if you take it, you will not get COVID. That is false. That is not true. And they continue to say, even now, when the evidence is so overwhelming, uh, that not only is that not true, people that have multiple boosters, you know, you're, a, you're definitely at risk of getting it. There's no question about that. So, so it's just time and time again, I think you've seen ideology placed over, over data and evidence. And then what happens is, is that they will say something like, okay, six weeks of masks will end COVID. So that's what they claim. It doesn't happen. And then what they'll do is they will kind of move the goalposts and say, well, you know, only 95% wore it. So now, and they will constantly uh, try to shift because they will never admit that their ideology was, was incorrect. So that's very, very dangerous when you're looking at all these things. So that's a problem with our society that we're grappling with. And what I've said in the state of Florida, because we've taken on woke corporations, we've taken on ESG, obviously in the classroom, we've battled a lot of ideologies. But what I've said is that the state of Florida is the state, uh, is the place where woke goes to die. Uh, we are not going to let this state... We're not going to let this state descend into some type of woke dumpster fire. We're going to be following common sense. We're going to be following, um, you know, facts. And that's just really, really important. So anyways, thank you guys for being here. God bless you all. You know what's gross about this clip when you watch the video is there's cops behind him mm-hmm. who are just yucking it up. Like, oh, it's comedy hour at the Yuck Yuck House. Wow. Like Ron DeSantis got his tight five on point. <laughs> his tight five, yeah. He, you can tell that the line is doing well with, yeah. his, with his people, and that's why he is continuing to use it. But I want to talk about a few of the phrases that he used because it's so comical coming from Ron DeSantis, coming from the, the right. He talks about how the left is advancing ideas that are not grounded in data or evidence that they started putting masks and syringes in their profile pictures on social media and that that became their identity. Mm -hmm. Can you think of any other objects that become the identity for people on the right? Like guns, for example. Not only that, (laughs) it was the identity of people to be anti-mask. Yes. Oh, absolutely. There was a whole cadre of grifters who came up during COVID. Yeah. The Freedom to Breathe Free Agency and all these idiots. Yes, yes. So it's just projection. Absolutely. And then he also said that oftentimes for the left, ideology is placed over data and evidence. (laughs) I mean, this coming from the party that has denied the existence of climate change, so much so that we are approaching a period where the effects of climate change are going to be irreversible and we are going to be stuck in the situation that we are in. So, I mean, it's dire out there right now, mm -hmm. this summer, all across the globe. There are like archaeological things that are being uncovered because lakes are evaporating, rivers are evaporating. And this is something that 20 years ago, 30 years ago, Republicans denied. Oh, this is just Democrat talking points to try to scare people. And here we are, and they ignored it. And people want to hire them who ignored the science 20 years ago. We want to let them be in control of what is considered scientific or not? Mm-hmm. Uh, probably not. Did you also see that report that came out recently about the extreme heat belt that is going to develop in the country where the number of Americans that are exposed to degree, like 125 degree heat <sighs> is going to increase by 2030, I think they said, and like coastal areas in the southeast and the mid-Atlantic could experience a heat index of 125 degrees. Just insane. Yeah. And again, the ideology is placed over data and evidence, according to Ron DeSantis. And rather than focus on the real problems in our world, 
They want to distract their low information audience and their low information voter base by talking about things like woke. Exactly. And Ron DeSantis is continuing to play this out, except for he's he's expanding the idea a little bit. We can't just stand idly by while woke ideology ravages every institution in our society. We must fight the woke in our schools. We must fight the woke in our businesses. We must fight the woke in government agencies. We can never, ever surrender to woke ideology. And I'll tell you this... The state of Florida is where woke goes to die. That's a catchy line there, Ronald. There it is again. And you're going to hear it a lot, so get used to it. (laughs) Is it me, or is he just not a charismatic? Like, I could see how Trump appeals to your low information. I love the poorly educated. I can kind of see that. This guy is just... A fucking unbuttered piece of toast, man. He's not a dynamic speaker. He, yeah, he he doesn't seem impressive. There's no... He's also not confident even in his own abilities, so much so that he has to mimic Donald Trump. Yeah, I do wonder what that's about. If he just sees that that's the best path forward for him because he knows that he's not really dynamic or interesting, and so he feels like he needs to just emulate Donald Trump and follow his exact path. I mean, with the top gov ad, we're seeing that play out because it's all about attacking the media. That's, that's the focus of that ad. And he plays clips of him battling the media where he's like, Oh, are you going to go on a monologue or are you going to ask a question? And then he like winks at the camera. It begs the question. Well, let's rephrase it. It it really indicates to me that those were scripted moments that he Mm. forced. So he would have campaign ad fodder later. Yeah. Like he created those so he could they could use those at a later date for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But listen, it's not just Florida. The, the, this problem exists here in Northern Virginia. That's how Glenn Youngkin got got elected. Mm-hmm. And it's it's even again in our in our previous home of Idaho where these nutters are inundating library funding meetings and school board meetings and it's just crazy. Well, and we talked about the upcoming Meridian Library District Board meeting, which did happen, and the Idaho Liberty Dogs. Liberty Dogs! They, sh- <laughs> they showed up, and also the concerned citizens of Meridian. So we have Brian Holmes with KTVB talking about how the district board meeting went. But we are here to do what we can to ensure that the library conforms to the wishes of concerned citizens of Meridian, especially responsible parents who want to protect their children from the Marxist indoctrination that seems to be sweeping our country. We believe that this insidious growth that's happening in our world must be stopped in its tracks. And one way we intend to do that is by restricting the kinds of subversive materials available to our children in our libraries. Today, our libraries have permitted evil influences to enter its premises. By evil, I mean the increasing influence of the, sa- of the satanic community's belief system. And you know what else? As a taxpayer, I should be responsible for what my money supports. My money does not support grooming children, showing private parts in a library to five-year-olds, men and women, men and men on top of each other. This has nothing to do with being gay. I know that that's everything some of these people are about. They have no personality outside of gay. I just don't like other people's ideologies being crammed down my throat and them trying to force me to accept their evil behaviors. Not banning. Sounds a little bit like banning, maybe. I don't know. Maybe a little light censorship. Either way, the dogs and the other concerned citizens were overwhelmingly outnumbered. <laughs> the dogs. The board heard stories and testimony about how much the library and all of its books mean to Meridianites. Public libraries are such an important piece of our democracy that we all need to be defending our libraries to the ends of the earth. I'm so thankful for libraries. I'm so thankful for what you do and that you're dealing with what you're dealing with today. And I just want you to know how much it means to most of us. And my name is Dom Joel Smito. I'm a proud Meridian citizen. I'm a Christian. I'm a conservative. I'm a parent. And I'm gay. 
The accusations of grooming a common dog whistle by bigots, implying that being LGBT is a choice. I can speak from personal, profound spiritual experience that it is not a choice. I use the library a lot with my children. We use the book It's Perfectly Normal. Um, when my husband was deployed and I had to teach my children, my sons, about um, sex ed, it was not a very comfortable topic when it came up when my husband was on a ship, so I used the book as a responsible parent. All right, what she was went on to say is a responsible parent. You're responsible for your family. And what you choose for your kids, well, that shouldn't be pushed upon the rest of us. Neither side wants to be imposed upon, apparently, which sounds like a standstill. In essence, it was last night a standstill because there would not be any decision made last night on books on Meridian Library shelves because that's not what the board does. They simply set the criteria for the collection development policy. The librarians decide what books get into the building and the criteria they use, well, it's on their website for all to see. Things like diversity, appropriateness, public demand. It was a point made clear by the library district chair last night who told us today they were more than happy to listen to the concerns of those who showed up even if they can't really do anything about it. Normally, very minimal attendance at our meetings. Like zero, like five? Sometimes zero, sometimes one or two, very rarely more than two. We will begin with the first item on our agenda. It was a very unusual meeting for us. I've, in my time on the board, I've never seen a turnout like that. Hi, I'm Melissa Hatt. You made it clear last night, the board, your job is to set policy, but not choose books. Mm-hmm. What... What did you take from last night? We're precluded as a governmental entity to to set limitations based on viewpoint. For us to restrict books would be a First Amendment violation, not censorship. We understand that parents are concerned about what their kids are reading. We strongly encourage them to be involved. Our expectation is that parents will know what their kids are checking out. So we have tools that allow them to do that. They can add their email to their child's library and, and see when books are due and what items are on hold. They can log into their child's account and see what's being checked out. So all kinds of tools for parents to be involved. That's our expectation. We're not a child care facility where a parent can drop off their kid unattended. Our expectation is, is that parents will be involved and we have the tools to help them do that. So the party of personal responsibility should utilize those tools and ensure that they are doing what is necessary to introduce the materials that they want introduced to their children's lives. I desperately want to ask each one of those fucking idiots, wait, what is Marxism? What's (laughs) Marxist? What does that mean? Mm -hmm. What is the satanic community? What? That's make-believe shit, man. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Grooming? I mean, it is... It's a who's who of all these cultural buzzwords um, that's really not even masking itself as bigotry. These are just fucking bigots. I don't care. I just don't want to shove down my throat, the, the stupid lady said. I mean, mm-hmm. get the fuck out of here. Yeah, so... This is the Meridian-Idaho library debate. And this isn't just happening in Meridian. I was just going to say, this is a nationwide thing right now. Yeah, no, this is an effort to ban books, ban materials, ban certain subjects from being discussed in school. We hear about it most often in states like Florida. But this is a good example that there are people readily available in states across the country that will come out and waste their time, the precious hours in their lives, and speak like a bigot and advance their bigoted views in public. Yeah, I, I don't want my kid checking them books out. Well, then don't let your kid check them books out. <laughs> Be a role in their, play a role in their life. Yeah. You fucking wannabe family values, wannabe Christian conservative, want to uh, imbue all of these, these, uh, family-friendly ideas, which they all do. They want to act like that. But in reality, they're just trash. They're just trash. Well, and a perfect example of this is the Republican candidate for governor in Arizona, Carrie Lake. Uh, She's a work. Piece of work. I I love what you said there because this is the case where Republicans are 
acting as though they are these pure beings and they advocate for purity culture where no one is supposed to hear about any sexual stuff or many topics are off limits. Yeah. And here you're going to hear Carrie Lake talking about Ron DeSantis in a way that I guess she finds really appropriate and pure. He is gutsy. The guy has bigger... Okay. (laughs) Wait, let me think about how I want to word this. My staff always says, whatever you do, do not say balls. So I'm not going to say it. That guy... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so great. ...has a backbone made of steel. Does he, though? I'll tell you what he's got. I don't know if you heard of this, but he's got BDE. Anybody know what that means? Ask your kids about it later. I call it Big DeSantis Energy. Right? (laughs) He's got the same kind of BDE that President Trump has. And frankly... He has the same kind of BDE that we want all of our elected leaders to have. That's gubernatorial candidate in Arizona talking about the size of Ron DeSantis and, by extension, Donald Trump's dick. (laughs) BDE, big dick energy. Family friendly, (laughs) y'all. And this is why we don't believe them when they talk about this. It is about censorship. It is about bigotry because they aren't actually concerned about these things. Yeah, not at all. When they're talking about big dick energy at a rally where, yes, probably there are children present and they're, ha ha, yes, Ron DeSantis has big dick energy. No, listen. I'm not pearl clutching, and you're not pearl clutching about this. Who fucking cares? It's like, but these are the same people who are like, oh, that is inappropriate that Beto said, called that guy a motherfucker in front of kids and the elderly. (laughs) Oh, good Lord. (laughs) These are the same assholes who are doing that, but they they don't bat an eye when she's talking about the size of Ron DeSantis' cock. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Fuck these hypocrites. Fuck them. Oh, my God. Maybe fuck them with Ron DeSantis' mediocre, shriveled little wiener. Okay. That's... We don't need to... <laughs> I mean, I just don't want to hear the about views it. And opinions expressed by Jesse Dollamore are solely those of Jesse Dollamore okay. and do not reflect the views and opinions of Brittany Page. Oh, my who God. Who is a far superior person and much more measured and reasonable in her views and analysis. Okay. Can we move on to important things now? I, feel I love like... <laughs> moving on to important things. But before we do... Okay. A word from today's sponsor, Patreon. I Doubt It is a listener-supported podcast. Support comes from our most loyal, engaged, intelligent, and good-looking listeners just like you via Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as $2 a month would help keep the conversation moving forward one podcast at a time. If you have a few dollars to spare each month, we invite you to help produce the show by joining the Patreon family please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. We would like to thank our new Patreon supporters, Thomas L. Thomas L. Debbie B. Debbie B. And Matthias WM. Matthias WM. Thank you so very much for your support. You are all entered into the contest just by becoming Patreon supporters. So thank you very much. We are doing that drawing on September 1st. We will reach out to the six winners on that day. We will send you the Teespring link when we do reach out to you, and you will be able to choose your sweatshirt, your T-shirt, your mug, your tote, your sticker, however you want to spend your reward, and then we will mail you your treat. We love you guys. We appreciate you very much. Thanks for all your support. Thanks for the community that is built up around this show. We know we talk about it a lot. Uh, some people maybe think too much, <laughs> but it is, it'll never stop being remarkable to us that we get to do this uh, and not some other thing that we would be doing because uh, we feel very lucky. And we feel that way because... We are. Anyway, back to, what'd you say, other? 
more, other more important more issues important issues than the big dick energy radiating from Ron DeSantis. So you're you're done talking about the size of Ron DeSantis' cock? Is that what you're saying? I, again, why are you? It's really aggressive. <laughs> it's really aggressive, and we okay. So abortion, abortion. I know, oh, so much better. I just it's more important. It's a more important issue for sure. It is. So obviously, fascism run a fucking muck. Thank you. Yes. And we are now hearing about studies that find that women face higher health risks in abortion restrictive states, which seems obvious, yeah. seems common sense. It seems like something that people predicted even before all of this happened. But now we got some data on it. Exactly. When Elizabeth Weller's water broke at just four and a half months pregnant, she was told it would take a miracle for her daughter to survive. It was the... The not being able to see her take her first steps or see, send her off to school for the first time. While Elizabeth was at a high risk of infection, she was told she was not sick enough to immediately end the pregnancy. So you're basically sent home to get sicker? Yes. The nurses essentially told me you're being sent home to develop the signs of an infection. Days later, when she was infected, doctors finally induced labor. And while she and her husband are still mourning the daughter they named Theodora, a new study shows their experience is not unique. Researchers looked at 28 recent cases in Dallas where doctors had to delay care until there was an immediate threat to patients' lives. Nearly 60% developed severe complications. One was in intensive care, others given blood transfusions. Only one baby survived, so underdeveloped it needed life support. This is what happens when we cannot um, uh, provide the standard of care right up front. Houston doctor Anita Nitra Beasley recently published similar findings on the Texas heartbeat bill called SB8. What we found um, was that SB8 really created a, a chilling effect on reproductive health care. Physicians were unclear if they could um, counsel patients, refer patients, having to really um, wait until something became life-threatening before they could intervene. State Senator Brian Hughes wrote SB8 and admits he's troubled by the recent study. Maybe they're confused by the law in other states or misled by other stories, but for those medical emergencies, the law hasn't changed. How close to death does a patient need to be before SBA would allow termination? Under Texas law, a doctor sees that condition and based on a reasonable medical probability knows this is this is going to happen. They can act. They do not have to wait for a condition to be aggravated. He says there has been outreach to doctors and hospitals to clarify. But for Dr. Beasley, there is nothing clearer than the studies. So is the data that you're seeing a warning to other places considering bans? If it's not, I think that it absolutely should be. The Wellers also worry about the future. It makes me not want to start a family here. It's not safe. They say they've seen that firsthand. Kristen Dahlgren, NBC News, Houston. Tell me how this isn't wild regression. We're going from preventative medicine. We're outlawing preventative medicine in Texas and switching to a reactionary model of medicine. So, oh, we got to wait until you actually have the infection the life-threatening condition before we treat you to prevent it, to avoid it. When we know because of science what it's going to lead to. Well, and you heard the Republican there who wrote the bill saying that he's troubled by this. And this seems to be a theme that may be developing because there was a South Carolina Republican representative, Neil Collins, who had a similar realization that he has voted for this legislation. He has voted for heartbeat bills in the past. He yeah. has he has voted for restrictions on abortion in the past. But now he says that he's losing sleep because he's learning about cases, for example, like he will describe, of a 19-year-old woman whose water broke after just 15 weeks of pregnancy and was told that she would have to carry the fetus and well let's just let him kind of tell the tale i voted for the pain capable bill the fetal heartbeat bill and fetal heartbeat has been 
for six weeks now. The second week that this that the fetal heartbeat bill became law, a doctor called me out of Anderson. I live in Easley. A 19-year-old girl appeared at the ER. She was 15 weeks pregnant. Her water broke. And the, the fetus was unviable. The standard of care was to advise her uh, that they could extract or she could go home. The attorneys told the doctors that because of the fetal heartbeat bill, because that 15-week-old had a heartbeat, the doctors could not extract. So their only choices were to admit the 19-year-old until that fetal heartbeat stopped. I asked, how long does it take to stop? She said, seconds, minutes, hours, maybe days, or discharge. They discharged that 19-year-old. The doctor told me at that point, there's a 50% chance, well, first, she's going to pass this fetus in the toilet. She's going to have to deal with that on her own. There's a 50% chance, greater than 50% chance, that she's going to lose her uterus. There's a 10% chance that she will develop sepsis and herself die. That weighs on me. I voted for that bill. These are affecting people, and we're having a meeting about this. It took that whole week. I did not sleep. Good. Listen, when you're shocked that the thing that everyone said and knew would start to happen is happening, and then you're all, oh, what? Who knew? I didn't have any idea this would be the outcome. You're responsible for this. You have blood on your hands South Carolina Republican Neil Collins. Well, and this was a speech he was giving before the South Carolina House Judiciary Committee where he said he would not be voting on the ban that they were discussing that only has exceptions for saving the life of the mother. The bill provides no provisions for victims of rape or incest. And he was saying he's not voting. Yeah, he's not going to vote yes or no. He's going to abstain. So is he really losing that much sleep? He doesn't even want to put a no vote on the record. He said, quote, out of respect for the process, I'm not voting today. But I want it to be clear that myself and many others are not in a position to vote for this bill without significant changes to the bill. I'm not going to vote out of respect for the process, the, the process of you doing your fucking job. It's just Gross. Well, and I wonder if this is going to be a pattern, like I said, if we're going to start seeing some self-reflection and some Republicans being honest about mistakes that they have made and how they took irresponsible, wrong actions in creating the problem that now exists. But like you said, Jesse, they were told. Yeah. They knew because people knew that this would be the ultimate outcome and they didn't listen. So good, you're changing your mind. You realize you made a mistake. You're not going super far in admitting it because you're not voting no. But again, you're, you know, something's happening there. That's good. But look what you did. Yeah, It's one thing to admit your mistake. But when you're in a position to actually correct the mistake, to go on the record with your vote, uh, he's choosing not to. So all those are just words. That's all fucking words. Because he could also be using his power and position within the yeah. party to rally the troops, right. convince other Republicans that they're doing the wrong thing, and be more forceful about right. that. He's being a coward. Anyway, we'd love to know what you think about these and any other topics that are on your mind. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. It's the asshole of today. Dan Price and Gavin Newsom. Dan Price. Let's start with Dan Price. Yeah, so Dan Price was this CEO that became notable for reducing his own salary to $70,000 a year so that he would be able to provide that same salary to everyone who worked at his company in Seattle. I believe it was called Gravity Payments. Right. It's a, it's a payment processing company where the minimum wage was $70,000 for each employee. Yes. And he was lauded for a selfless move that actually ended up growing his company. He was like a 
he became a social media character who was a champion for this type of uh, action in capitalism. Yes, but he has resigned because of a recent New York Times piece that profiled many allegations of abuse of women. Good morning, Janae. Dan Price was a media sensation overnight. His words, his story went viral. National news outlets like ABC did pieces on his dramatic rise to fame. Some even called him the moral CEO. Well, this morning, his story has taken a troubling turn. This morning, the CEO praised nationally for significantly raising the minimum wage at his company is under fire and resigning. Dan Price stepping down from Seattle-based Gravity Payments, saying that his presence has become a distraction. Allegations of physical and sexual assault detailed this week in a New York Times article. So for those who worked closely with him, he could be a very erratic and at times toxic boss. The paper reporting it spoke to more than a dozen women who described predatory encounters with Price, who not only denies the allegations, but posted on Twitter, I also need to step aside from these duties to focus full time on fighting false accusations made against me. In 2015, Price raised the minimum annual salary at his company from $48,000 to $70,000. The announcement celebrated by many. And not just from employees going viral with media appearances, including on ABC News and talk show interviews. When you make enough to pay your expenses to have a good, healthy life, you perform better in your job. Just Support for his social media posts coming from many, like Casey Margus, a model and artist who says after striking up an initial relationship through Instagram, the two met several times over three months. Until Margus says one night after an argument, she explicitly told him she did not want to have sex and then went to bed. After taking an edible for insomnia, she says she woke up to sexual contact she did not consent to. So in my mind, it was safer for me to keep calm and pretend to still be asleep. That way he wouldn't escalate it and possibly cause more harm to me. Margus says immediately after the alleged rape, she confronted him. And I asked him, did you just rape me? And at first he looked away and was like, no, what, what are you talking about? She says she left the hotel room and the next morning filed a police report and went to the hospital for a sexual forensic exam. On Monday, police in Palm Springs, California, referred Margus's case to local prosecutors and recommended a charge of rape. No charges have been filed and Price denies the allegation, telling the Times he never physically or sexually abused anyone and that the other accusations of inappropriate behavior toward women in this story are simply false. Earlier this year, in a separate case, the CEO facing charges of assault and reckless driving during an incident in Seattle. He's pleaded not guilty. According to the police report, Price grabbed Shelby Haynes' neck, attempting to kiss her in his car. Haynes saying she pushed away his advances. And at that moment, I saw his eyes and just his whole expression just completely change. And it it just really, really terrified me. Price's lawyer entered not guilty pleas on his behalf for the assault and reckless driving charges. There is a trial coming up in October for that. Price telling the Times in a statement he is looking forward to presenting his defense and proving his innocence. Where have we heard this before? Oh, all of these many women who are making these claims, they're all liars. I'm innocent. This is credible accusations. Well, and there were also, for years there's been accusations that he abused his ex-wife as as well. Mm. And she, I believe, never named him in a speech that she gave, but people long suspected that it was him that she was talking about. And so there were kind of rumors surrounding that he had been previously accused of bad behavior with women. They really cut that first woman off quite early because she did confront him after the rape, the alleged rape, and said, did you rape me? And he flatly denied it. But then in the New York Times reporting, it goes beyond that because she confronts him and says that she felt pain and that she had semen inside of her. Like she's telling him this. Mm-hmm. And that he then started making excuses, saying that he was just using his fingers and then that he just used the tip of his penis. And so 
they kind of cut her off early and I just wanted to clarify that it it went beyond that. And I would really recommend that you read the full New York times profile on this, on Dan price. If you are someone who was a fan of him, if you follow him on Twitter, if you've liked his tweets, we've shared many of his tweets to the Facebook. I think he was a taking care of biz when all this went down in the beginning. He has been in the past. And listen, when, when, when the facts change, when our understanding of the facts change, we're going to change our fucking minds. And this is a guy who needs to be held accountable. Yes. So we will definitely follow this. Also in the New York Times, they talk about other aspects of him. Like he said his employees banded together to buy him a Tesla one year as a gift. And like that was his idea. And he kind of orchestrated that. That's that's what they allege in this huh. profile. So there's other things about him where he really created this image for himself and tried to become an internet persona. Well, he didn't, that, even his Twitter account was run by someone that wasn't him. Like he, all his tweets and things that would go viral were curated by somebody. And I, if I'm not mistaken, the person who ran his Twitter account also has credible accusations of, uh, of abuse. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, that's in the New York Times profile as well. So let's move on to Gavin Newsom, the second asshole for today. And Gavin Newsom vetoed a bill that we've been talking a lot about that would have created supervised injection sites in California, in Los Angeles, San Francisco, and Oakland. He announced yesterday that he was vetoing that bill. Governor Gavin Newsom taking heat tonight from members of his own party after he vetoed legislation that would have allowed supervised drug injection sites. Well, Newsom claims the bill lacked a strong plan and could have made the drug crisis worse. KKL 9 political reporter Tom Waite here live now with reactions from both sides. Tom? Good evening, Pat and Juan. Well, there is wide speculation the governor will run for president, possibly in 2024, though Newsom staunchly denies he will run. But now members of his own party are accusing him of putting his political ambitions ahead of the safety of his constituents. In 2018, San Francisco's mayor paid a visit to Glide Memorial Church where leaders showcased a model safe injection site. It included curtain booths for privacy, kits for injecting, and test kits for people's drugs. It's spaces like this that advocates were hoping to open across the state. But Monday, Governor Gavin Newsom vetoed a bill that would have allowed them. Deeply disappointing. State Senator Scott Weiner wrote Senate Bill 57, which would have given the green light for drug supervision pilot sites to open in Los Angeles, San Francisco, and Oakland. The situation is really, really bad right now. People are using drugs, open air, on the sidewalks, in front of people's homes, businesses, with people's kids walking by. And this is an opportunity to help get people inside in a supervised setting. Governor Newsom released a statement about why he shot down the legislation, saying in part the centers could induce a world of unintended consequences. Newsom also said the bill lacked a strong operational plan, which could make the drug crisis even worse. I don't know what he's talking about, and I I don't agree. These sites, a proven model over 30 years around the world in reducing overdose deaths, uh, reducing HIV and hepatitis infections, uh, and connecting people to treatment. The governor denies he has aspirations to run for the presidency, but there is rampant speculation that he may ultimately seek higher office. Loyola Law Professor and political analyst Jessica Levinson. This is the type of bill where I think normally he would want to be out in front of it. And he would want to be potentially first in the nation to say, we started this type of project and we actually saved lives. On the other hand, there's such a heavy political downside to a bill like this. There isn't a big constituency, I think, that's in support of this or vehemently in support of it. And you can imagine how the opposition ads really write themselves. Advocates for the bill say they are very disappointed, but they're not giving up. They say New York City was able to open two overdose supervision centers without state or federal authorization. Live in the newsroom, I'm Tom Waite. Juan, back to you. All right, Tom, thanks. It's just such a bummer to hear someone put it in those terms that it doesn't make a lot of political sense for him to support this because there isn't a big enough constituency in support of this. Yeah. Like, it's it's not... Well, he can't do the right thing because uh, it might it might squelch his political career. Right. And that's really what this is. I mean, he is denying that he's going to run for president. He's denying that he has these aspirations for the presidency. But 
there's no other reason that he would vote, veto this. He's also like running political ads in Florida against DeSantis already. Right, and he's saying that he vetoed this because he's concerned that this would make the drug crisis worse in California. How much worse can it get? In San Francisco, overdoses killed more than twice as many people as the coronavirus did in 2020. Not only that, all he has to do is look at the model that this has been put in place in New York City and see that it is a wild runaway success. Yeah, you have Mayor Eric Adams in New York City. There's two supervised injection sites in New York City. Yeah. And Mayor Eric Adams, who is a law and order mayor. Who's a former cop, a fascist jerk off. He has seen how successful the two supervised injection sites in New York have been. And he wants them to be 24 hours. He wants them to be open for 24 hours because they've been so successful. That's how well this is working. And all Gavin Newsom had to do was look at where it's in place and see that it's a runaway success. And again, I want to go over a few more numbers. According to reporting from the New York Times, in L.A. County, overdoses killed 773 more people in 2020 than in 2019. That's an increase of almost 47%. Among homeless people, overdoses were the biggest contributor to a 78% increase in deaths in the year after the onset of the pandemic. This is already bad. So when he's talking about, I'm worried this will make things worse. No, no. Yeah. That's not what we find when these are in place. They make things better. They keep people alive and they keep people alive long enough that they maybe down the line will explore treatment. And that's the goal, right? You can't force yeah. them into treatment. We've already tried that. It, I get so frustrated with conservatives. It's the same logic here with supervised injection sites as it is with everything else. They don't want to teach safe sex practices. They don't want people to have access to birth control as a way to prevent unwanted pregnancies, yeah. for example, right? They don't want people on government assistance. They, they don't want babies being born into situations where they can't be taken care of, but they don't want to put the solutions to those problems in place, like teaching about safe sex, enabling people to have access to birth control. This is the same situation. Conservatives don't want people using drugs. They don't want people using drugs in the street. Well, then what what do you do? You do the solution to that problem. You put that in place. One of those solutions is a harm reduction service like supervised injection sites and and obviously this isn't just conservatives because gavin newsom wants to portray himself as some kind of a some kind of a a a progressive dynamo when he is ignoring the evidence we have the model and he is ignoring it for political expediency and leaning hard to the right here so this is very disappointing very very disappointing yeah Anyway, we'd love to know what you think. If you uh, disagree, we'd especially love to hear. 657-464-7609. And of course, of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We love you guys. We appreciate you. We will see you next time. Until then, Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollamore. This has been I Doubt.